Good afternoon. I um, I had never seen this shirt before, and so I asked my wife last night. I said, um, "Have I have I worn this to like a Sunday service before?" And she looked at all the sermon archives, and she goes, "Ah, three weeks ago you wore it." So I would recommend not wearing it three weeks is a little too early to put it back in the rotation. I said, sweetie, I'm wearing shorts and flip-flops for the first time. Nobody's going to be looking at my shirt. And so I got to wear, I got to wear this unwrinkled shirt again. They said it was going to be 108. And so I dressed appropriately. And so I think it is a California law too, above 100 degrees, you are to dress in flip-flops and shorts. So that so I'm just a abiding, abiding citizen. Well, we're in our Life in Him series going through the Gospel of John. We find ourselves in John chapter 17 this morning. If you have a Bible, you can open up to that chapter, or you can open up our church app to see the scriptures and the notes there as well. This is still a few hours before the arrest of Jesus. We'll read about that next week in uh, John chapter 18. And so right before his arrest, Jesus now turns his attention from his disciples to the Father and prays. Now, that's not uncommon. Jesus prayed throughout the Gospels. The disciples were always watching Jesus pray, so much so that they said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he gave them the brief prayer model of the Lord's Prayer is what we call it. But in John chapter 17, we have the longest recorded prayer of Jesus in the entire Bible. It's just the longest. So I'm not sure if you're a short prayer or a long prayer kind of person, I know that our founding pastor, Dr. Ron Armstrong, uh, when it comes to praying over a meal, he is a short prayer kind of person. And I have scientific evidence on this. I think we've eaten together 75 times. He has prayed the same five-word prayer every single time. He's never even let me pray. I think it's because he loves me. He doesn't want to be upset at me doing a long prayer. And so he hasn't even said, oh, Andy, you pray for us today once. Um, so he says, Lord, bless this food. Amen. It's barely enough time to close your eyes, but he closes his eyes and says, Lord, bless this food. Amen. And then so the first time I was like, oh, 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 okay. And then 75 times later, that I have it memorized now. This is, this is the prayer. And I called and asked him if I could say that because I also noticed that a couple weeks ago when we had a longtime staff member, John Z, leave and move to Maine, uh, Pastor Ron came to our goodbye party for him. And he prayed an eight-minute prayer for John Z, blessings over his life, thanking the Lord for his faithfulness. And so Pastor Ron knows when to pray a long prayer and when to pray a short prayer and how disrespectful it would be to the cooks and the chef if we let our food get cold. And so he has a nice short prayer saved up for those moments. I have a lot to learn from this man of God. In Jesus's longest recorded prayer ever, we get to learn what's on his heart, what he believes, what he desires. We learn what we should pray for because what's important to Jesus should be important to us. So as we study John chapter 17, we will see principles for prayer, how to pray, and we will also see priorities for prayer that we should include into our prayer lives because they were important to Jesus. Jesus divided his long prayer up into three sections. He prayed for himself, the disciples, and then us. He prayed for future believers. The shortest of those three sections is when he prayed for himself. Starting in verse one, it says, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. 
Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the, the world began. Jesus prays for himself, and right away, we see that one of his main priorities is to glorify his Father in heaven, to glorify his Father. He says in verse one, that your Son may glorify you. And one of the ways he did this was by finishing the work that God gave him to do. We see in verse four, Jesus was so confident that he was going to make the decision to continue on towards the cross, that he could say he was finishing the work that his father had gave him to do. And so as we wanna make this a priority in our prayer lives, we can connect it to finishing the work that God has given us. First, we have to discover what the work is, and then we need to finish it. Endurance, asking the Lord to help us to endure. That may be endurance in a relationship as there's a, a family member or friend that is just troublesome, but you know that God is asking you to endure so that you can be a witness to them. It could be that you, out of all three services today, you are the one that has the worst boss on the planet. And God is asking you to endure and to be a witness at work. I don't know what the work is that God is asking us to do, but I know that all of us need to ask him to remain faithful. Lord, help us to remain faithful, to finish the work that you started so we can bring glory to our Father in heaven. We also see a principle on how we can pray here. And that principle is that we should use a prayer posture that has a purpose connected to it. Jesus, in verse one, it says, he looked toward heaven and prayed. And so Jesus is using a physical posture. His disciples are around him where he is looking to heaven to try and communicate to the 11, God is in relationship with me. I'm speaking to the Father here. And so he has a posture that matched the purpose of communicating to the disciples that he was thinking about the Father and talking with him in heaven. Now, our culture has a, a posture for prayer, doesn't it? We close our eyes, bow our heads, and fold our hands, right? We, even the emoji for prayer is this, right? It's a prayer posture that we do this. And if you're trying to live this out in a family, you know, I mean, you, you, you think I'm going to win. If I can keep my kids' eyes shut during prayer, I am winning. Like, shut your eyes, you little sinner. If you open your eyes, you're breaking the unwritten rule that does not exist in the world or in the, you know, it's like you're breaking the American rule. Come on, close your eyes. And, and if you have more than one kid, you'll get something like Abigail when prayer's over saying, Gideon had his eyes open the whole time during the prayer. And you say, wow, did the Holy Spirit impress that upon your heart while your eyes were closed, Abigail? And then she runs through the list of excuses and lies and says, well, I just knew. I just knew. Oh, you just knew with your eyes open as well. And so for some reason, we place such an importance on that. And there's a purpose. We close our eyes in general to, min to minimize distractions. That's, that's a good purpose. We bow our heads sometimes to communicate, you know, reverence towards, towards God. And so we have a purpose in our culture, and that's fine. The Bible has all different kinds of ways we can pray. Standing, lifting hands. 1 Timothy 2.8 says that Paul wishes, desires that, that men everywhere would lift their hands and pray. It's boldly praying, sitting, kneeling, Jesus looking up, bowing down. Bowing down communicates that we are respecting the authority of the King of Kings as we pray. Pounding the chest. 
There's a story in, in the Bible where there's two different people that are praying. One is, a, one is a Pharisee that comes and prays like a Shakespearean prayer, like long, eloquent. And everyone's like, man, that was, that was just a good, that was a good prayer, golf clap kind of good prayer. I remember the, the first time I was in a prayer meeting in New Jersey um, when I came on staff at a church and there were 10 other pastors and we had a prayer meeting and one by one, they gave these amazing prayers. And all of a sudden I realized, oh my goodness, they're going in order. It's gonna hit me at some point. At some point they're gonna expect me to pray and it's my first day as an intern. And so I'm like, what do I pray, what do I pray? And it was something like, oh Lord, God is good. Help, ow. And they're like, did you say ow? And I'm like, ah, I don't know how to pray. I need to learn this, you know? And, and they weren't Pharisees. They were just praying with experience and it was fine. In the story in the Bible, there's a Pharisee who's putting on a show and then there's a man described as a sinner. So whoever you think of when the word, oh, that person's a sinner, that's what people would think of for this person. And he came up and all he did is pound his chest and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Short prayer. And the Bible says that person went away justified. A prayer posture. He was pounding his heart because he hated his sin so much. And then laying prostrate. That's, that's laying face down, flat on the ground, as humble and dirty as you can be, just respecting God and saying, I, I'm, I'm nothing in this moment. Lord, you, you are everything. Today, I had a unique experience uh, where I came in uh, during the practice time for the worship, and I was sitting over there in the corner, and, and the, the lyrics just began to center my heart around God and how amazing He is, and I felt compelled by the Holy Spirit to, to get down on my knees and lift my hands and pray, and I had tears coming down my eyes, and the physical posture of that prayer matched my heart at the moment. But before you think uh, that your pastor is super holy, that's the only time in the last two years that I've had that physical posture during worship. It should be happening a lot more based on who God is and who I am. But the key was, is that our, our hearts would match. And so false religion places a premium on the physical expression, right? That's the Pharisee saying, look at me, pray eloquently and loud, blow the trumpet, make sure everyone hears me pray first. There's nothing wrong with external behaviors. But true Christianity is always about the heart. And so if our heart and our outside actions match, that is totally fine. And so the most important heart posture that we can have is humility. We come before God recognizing that He is everything. And I'm just thankful that He loves me. Humility and submission to God. Another principle we see just in these first five verses is that Jesus includes the reasons for His request with the request. That's a good principle. Don't just give requests, include the reasons for your request. Jesus did it in verse one. He said, glorify your son. This is a prayer only Jesus can pray. None of us should be like, glorify me, right? And Jesus said, he's basically saying, give me strength to finish this work. Give me the strength to go to the cross. The request is glorify your son. The reason is that your son may glorify you. He gave the reason. And so when you're praying, tell God in humility why you believe he should answer your prayer request. And so you may say, oh, Lord, heal me. And then you want to give the reasons because I'm in pain and you're my father and I know you don't want to see me in pain. That's a valid reason. Now you're thinking about God being a father and you being a child. That's good in prayer to think like that. Lord, heal me because I'm useless around the house and I want to help my spouse and my kids. 
Lord, I need to provide for my family. Heal me so I can go back to work. Lord, heal me, but give me patience and teach me. As, I, as you pray and give the reasons for your request, think through them. And this process can help you align your heart better with God's mission and God's word as you determine which of your reasons is selfish and which of them really match up to having a father in heaven who loves you and has a, a mission to accomplish here on earth. And so my kids uh, have asked me about 150,000 times if they could have a pet. And so about a year ago, Abigail wrote a proposal. She took all this time and wrote a three-page proposal called Why I Think I Should Get a Pet Cat by Abby Dean. So she's giving the request and the reasons. I think I should get a pet cat because I have proved myself by taking care of Kobe. Kobe was a neighbor's cat that she took care of once for six minutes. <laughs> Things a cat needs, food and water, a litter box, toys to play with, a scratching post. Another reason, I will clean the litter box. So she just lied to her father, right? <laughs> I have done it with grandma's cat. We have no memory of this, but I believe that she tried to do this at some point. Another reason, I think most cats like me. There's a stick figure picture of her that says, please. And the cat also is in on this and says, please. Page two, this made me laugh out loud. I will throw away dead mice. I'm like, wait, what? She drew a mouse with an X through the eyes. I'm like, how do you even know how to draw dead cartoon characters? I will keep the cat in my bedroom until Gideon has his allergy medicine because he's allergic to pets, which is why we don't have any. That's why he's my favorite kid. And grandma has a cat nail clipper. I don't know how that applies. Big please, please, please love Abby with three hearts. The poor thing was sobbing with my wife, Shannon. She said, I, I really thought it was going to work this time because she gave the, the reasons with the requests. I understand that I'm a monster that said no to her. I understand that. Now, my boys said this. This is just this weekend with no prompting. Why we should get Roblox, which is some kind of video game thing. Five reasons. There are lots of games. I don't know how that helps. We can play together. Now, they're, they're noticing we want to do family stuff. That was a good one. We can get cool stuff. That doesn't help. We can get it on our iPad. I actually don't like it when they're on their iPads. That didn't help. And it is really fun. Well, I'm glad they're wanting to have fun. I also said no to this request. <laughs> These are bad illustrations because you're going to think God is going to say no to you. That's not true. God loves you. He's going to say yes sometimes. But it's a helpful process for us to go through like Jesus did to list your reasons with the request. Now, the second section of his prayer, he prays for the disciples. He's praying for the 11 now that Judas had left. He said this is a long section, but it's important. Verse six, I have revealed you to those whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you for I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. They just declared that in the last chapter. Jesus says, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world. There are times where he prays for the, the broader world, but here he's praying for his disciples. But for those you have given me, for they are yours. All I have is yours and all you have is mine and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, and they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be at one as we are one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. 
None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction, so the scripture would be fulfilled. He's speaking of Judas, and there's a prophecy in the book of Psalms that talks about someone who would betray Jesus. Verse 13, I am coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world anymore that I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. So in the, section, the second category, Jesus prays for the disciples. And right away we see a principle. And that's in verses six through eight. If you read it, you realize Jesus is speaking for about a paragraph and he's not making any request of the Father. He's kind of just talking with the Father. So the principle is, Talk with God without making a request sometimes. Where's the request? There is none. It's just a conversation. It's Jesus pouring out his heart to the Father. I don't say this lightly or disrespectfully, but we need to practice chatting with God, just talking with him about how things are going without asking him for anything. This morning, because of how hot it's been the past couple days, I started my morning. I'm like, I'm going to wake myself up by jumping in the pool. And as I jumped in the pool, it was so nice. I turned around and it was just the time of day where the clouds were, were orange and pink. And I said, well, that's impressive. And I was talking to the Lord. And I was like, you know, you're kind of just showing off here, Lord. This is really nice. I didn't mean he was sinning, but it was just beautiful. And I, and I just had a conversation with the Lord about how I was feeling and how thankful I was about certain things. And, and we just talked. Some of the sweetest moments with my kids are just when they talk without making a request. No problem with the request. Every, every one of those dumb ceiling fans in my house has a broken chain on them right now. So I am literally the only person that can turn a fan or a light on in the room because they're just not all connected to a light switch on the wall. And so, hey, when they ask me, I know I'm the only one that can help. I, I want to help them. But sometimes they just want to chat like Titus, a six-year-old who in the last year and a half, Shannon says, has only been quiet for three minutes. In a year and a half, she, she clocked it. So we always have to say, Sweet, sweetie, just give me 30 seconds to talk to your mother. Just give me, I just, and then boom, he's right back, right back into it. But we love it that the kids will FaceTime me while I'm here in the office and, and Abigail will do a video chat and say, Dad, I passed the math test we were studying for. I'm like, Abigail, that's, and I was gonna say, that's great. And then she hangs up because she's done communicating, but I thought that was sweet. She wanted to video chat me. And then Titus, a year ago, calls me. And, I, and so whenever I get a FaceTime call, I know it's the kids through Shannon's phone. And um, Shannon doesn't want to see me. And uh, so I, I, I turn it on and it's Titus sitting on Shannon's lap, eyes bawling and swollen with tears. I'm like, are you okay? Did you get hurt? And he goes, dad, I miss our old condo. I'm like, what? What do you mean you miss our old condo? I think we're so small and crammed that he's just, I'm like, oh, I, I, that's, I know, son, I know. Life, life is hard having a nice bigger house now. It's tough, huh? And so, but they just want to talk. It's, it's beautiful. And so talk with the Lord. Yeah, you have to practice it. Just, this is the only way we're going to ever be able to pray without ceasing. If every time we pray without ceasing, it's close our eyes, fold our hands. We're just going to get into a lot of car accidents and we're not going to do it. Pray without ceasing just by chatting. A priority that Jesus had in this section is to preserve his disciples. He wants to preserve them. Verse 11, 
He says to the father, protect them. Other translations say, keep them by the power of your name. Help them to remain faithful to the truth about who you are, God. And he does this not always in the way that we want. Verse 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Often we say, Lord, stop the trial. Make the trouble go away. End the difficulty. Remove me from the situation. Remove that person from the situation. We think that's the solution. And many times the Lord says, I'm going to give you strength to endure. You're going to get through this because I'm with you in this fire. I'm with you in the storm. And so you're going to be okay. He doesn't always take us out of the situation. Peter knew this. He knew what it was like to be rescued. Satan, the Bible says, wanted to sift Peter like wheat, but the Lord wouldn't allow him to do that. Peter wrote in 2 Peter 2 of two examples that the Lord saves the righteous. One is the flood, where, where the Lord saved Noah and his righteous family in a cataclysmic event, he saved them. Another is, is when the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah with, with fire and brimstone, Lot and his two daughters were preserved and saved. God preserved them. So Peter was able to write this, 2 Peter 2.9, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. That's the truth. The question is, is do we believe that in our circumstance? Do you believe the Lord knows how to rescue you from your trial? whether it's strengthening you in it or removing you from it. Do you believe that? That God's sovereignty, his power, his authority is being used for your good. Sometimes that's the good of your character change that's happening. Sometimes it's the physical good that we're begging the Lord for, but it's for our good. He will rescue us. Another priority Jesus had is to sanctify them. He wanted them to be sanctified. Now that's a church word, right? He says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. It simply means to set apart that believers that have the spirit of God dwelling inside of them, they're gonna be different than the world. We are set apart for a purpose. We need to realize that each of us is set apart so that God can use us in the sphere of influence that is around us. We can't blend in with the world or there will be no noticeable difference between believing in God and those that are far from God. It doesn't mean that you're a jerk. It doesn't mean you, you know, you're always condemning and judging people, but is there a difference? God wants to sanctify us and he does that by the word of God, right? He says, your word is truth. As we read the word of God, we discover how to live differently in the kingdom of God as opposed to living without God in the world. And so God wants to set us apart and remind us we are a child of God, a pilgrim, an ambassador for him. And another priority he had for his disciples was to send them, to send them. He said in verse 18, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them. All weekend I've been practicing different tones of voice on how do I say this next line. I'm like, I need to say this one carefully. It's going to come across aggressive or, or rude. I have not succeeded in figuring out how to say this very gently, but here's what it is. The truth is, when Jesus said, as you have sent me into the world, I have sent them. The truth is, is Jesus was not sent so that we could stay. There's no option for the believer where it just involves couch only. I will stay on this couch and I am okay, and that's it. Other people will do the work of the No, Jesus left paradise. He, he, he left heaven, 
put on humanity, was born in a filthy manger, and then walked through this world. I mean, Jesus stubbed his toe. That's the worst thing on earth, to stub your toe. You know, we stub our toe and people take the Lord's name in vain and he stubbed his toe and probably said, maybe he said his own name, I don't know. But we, listen, he, he went through all that, this huge sacrifice that ended on the cross to inspire us to make a really small sacrifice. Now, it may feel big in our lives, the sacrifice we think we're making to give something up, to gain more of the Lord, to be a greater witness for him, but it's minuscule in comparison to what Jesus had done. So we are sent ourselves. We're sent to our homes to raise our children in the ways of the Lord. That takes a lot of work. And that's hard. That's why we gathered 20 parents at my house a couple weeks ago to read a parenting book because we're like, this is difficult. We need to figure out how to, how to do this. And it was great. It was a good time. Or, or you need to be sent to your home in the sense that you are the only believer in a household of those that are far from God. You're sent to your workplace to be a witness of what it's like to have God inside of you that should make you different. We're sent to our neighbors to meet their needs, and we're sent to the nations to preach the gospel. Cornerstone wants everyone to have one person in their heart that is far from God, one person that we will pray for daily, check in on weekly, and invite sometime that they would hear our story of who we are, the transformation that's occurred in us, or invite them to church. You can go to go to cornerstone.com slash one. We'll put the, the link on the screen right there. You can see a sermon we uh, preached just about this with some resources as a simple reminder to say, shouldn't we have one person that's far from God that we're praying for daily, checking in on with like a text message or a conversation weekly. And when the time is right, when the Holy Spirit has drawn them to himself, we invite them to church or to hear our story into our home for a meal. We've got to be sent to those that are around us. And the last uh, principle that I see involves all 26 verses. And it's just the fact that Jesus organized his prayer into three categories. Jesus prayed for himself, the disciples, and future believers like us. So if you wanted to have a John 17 model prayer for yourself to, to do, then you would pray for yourself for a few minutes, pray for those closest to you, family and friends, and then pray for the world. That would be a cool way to organize your prayer. There's lots of ways to organize our prayer. You could have a prayer list where each page in a journal has a different category. Okay, uh, personal requests. Uh, you know, personal requests that are physical, that are spiritual, praying for my family, praying for those at work. You make these categories and every time the Lord prompts you to pray, you write it down and then weekly or daily, you pull out your prayer journal and you go through those requests and you bring them before the Lord. And the key is every time the Lord answers a prayer, go back and highlight that request and write down how he answered it. Because God is answering way more prayers than we give him credit for, but we forget all of them. <laughs> we remember one or two, but the truth is if we were to log God's answered prayers over a decade, we would have a testimony of God's faithfulness that would blow our minds. A prayer list is a fantastic way. Praying with variety using an acronym. Pastors love acronyms. And so the one that I, I created for my family is called ICAST because of the verse, cast your cares upon the Lord for he cares for you. And so how do we cast? Well, these are, these are five different ways to pray or categories of prayer that we see in the scriptures that we're often not praying because we're focused on one. 
So one is intercession. That's as we intercede for other people, we bring their request to God. Lord, help my family, help this person. This person's sick. We intercede on behalf of other people. Confession is obvious. We confess our sins to the Lord, and we need to do that more often because uh, we, we, we think there's like these big categories of sins, and then we think we're okay when we're just dealing with the internal, right? Confession. Adoration is just, uh, just reminding yourself of who God is. Lord, you're all-powerful. Remind yourself of the attributes of God. You're all-knowing, and yet you still love me. Lord, you are amazing. Supplication is what we all do really well. That is us pleading with God with a list of requests. That's us praying for ourselves. Oh, Lord, change this about my life. We've got that category locked down. Thanksgiving is no matter how you are feeling and how bad things are, you take time to thank God for what he did on the cross and for what he did this week in your life. And you can go from despair to, to gratitude and hope pretty quickly doing that. And this final one isn't very common, but it's powerful. Pray the scriptures, open up to a passage. This works really well with the Psalms and, and, and read one line, pause, and just ask yourself, how does that line of scripture, that truth in the Bible, inspire me to pray for some other category? So maybe you're praying Psalm 23, and the first line is, the Lord is my shepherd. Pause and just start praying that theme. Lord, thank you for being my shepherd. That means that you protected me from wolves. Thank you for how you preserve and protect me. That means that you're taking care of me. That means I'm a sheep. Lord, help me to hear your voice. Lord, help me to follow you better. Not to always resist you, but to you could pray for 10 minutes about the Lord being your shepherd. When you're done, and that's up to you, you look at the next line. It says, I shall not want. So the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You may pray and say, Lord, I can't say that. I don't have contentment. I want all these different kinds of things. Oh, Lord, give me contentment. You read the third line and you may say, oh, that doesn't inspire me. You're still a Christian. You just move on to the next line, the next line, until you are inspired and then you pause and you pray for as short or as long as you want. This gives such variety to your prayer life. If you feel stuck in a rut, imagine praying through all 150 Psalms over a year, slowly, just taking the promises of God, the, the despair and the hope that is in the Psalms and giving it back to him and saying, Lord, you, you gave the, your people this promise. I'm just saying it back to you. It's amazing. It's, it's a really an amazing way to pray. And so Jesus used a pattern to organize his prayer, and we can too. Now, this final section, Jesus actually prays for us. And that's not a stretch to say that. Verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone, the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in, in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the word, world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am in heaven, to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I've made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Jesus prays for us. 
And his priority is unity. He wants us to have unity. He says that they may be brought to complete unity in verse 23. I mean, this is, this is unity with other believers and other churches that we would stop bickering and quarreling about some things that don't matter or the things that do matter that we would move towards forgiveness and pursue peace and reconciliation. That is what Jesus is talking to the Father about us today. Now, why? How is this even possible? We are invited into the love of the Trinity. We're not, we're not becoming the Trinity, but we are invited into the fellowship of the Trinity. Jesus said in verse 22 that they, that's us, that they may be one as we are one. As we choose to have harmony with each other and love and peace with each other, we reflect the Trinity. When you think of the Trinity, you don't think of Father, Son, Holy Spirit fighting, arguing, and one of them happens to win. You think of unity. And so as we have unity, God is honored in that situation, and there's unity with him. If a person is good enough to be included in fellowship with the Trinity, I think I can make peace with them, no matter how much they bug me, bother me, disagree with me, and fight with me, if they're good enough to be in the Trinity. There's a, a movie my kids watched a couple weeks ago, it's older, Inside Out. It's about a little girl, you get inside of her mind, and you're in the headquarters, and there's five emotions, right? So you've got anger, disgust, joy, fear, and sadness. And you're, you're experiencing all the emotions, and at some point you're like, Man, that's sadness, lady. That, that emotion's just lame. You need to knock that out and just have more joy in life. And joy feels the same way. And so when all of a sudden this girl who just moved across the country has a core memory that will be stored forever that is blue and, and is sadness, Joy's like, no, we can't have a core memory be sadness, only happy. They fight over it. They're sucked into their little world. They have to sort things out. And Joy comes to realize every emotion is necessary and if this little girl didn't have sadness to process her grief of moving across the country, she wouldn't be healthy emotionally. And so they sorted that out and you come to realize, yeah, everyone is important. And for us, there may be a person in the church that you're like, that person is so annoying. Lord, why don't they just, you should just inspire them to go to a different church. There's dozens of them. No, we need to come to the conclusion that every person in the body of Christ is necessary each person has a role to play, and it is more important that we would find unity because when we try and aim for unity, eventually it's so difficult that we wrestle with this one idea. It is because of the blood of Jesus shed for each person that we can have unity. There is common ground between us, and when I choose to continue to fight and bother people and say, I'm not going to forgive them, I'm saying the blood of Jesus wasn't enough. But when I let a create a hard situation still not prevent me from pursuing reconciliation, I'm declaring that the blood of Jesus is enough and I'm giving glory to God and glory to Jesus for that. That's not easy to do. That's why they make cute little movies like Inside Out uh, about this, but it's a priority of Jesus. Evangelism just seems hypocritical if we can't sort it out ourselves as a church. Another priority Jesus had is that we would be with him forever. He wants us to be with him. He says in verse 24, I want those you have given me to be with me. Jesus wants us in heaven because our relationship with him is real. Like from his perspective, he's like, oh, I love them. I just want, I want them to be with me. We feel like that at moments and then we forget and then we feel like that at moments. But Jesus says, I want them with me. Father, get them to heaven. I love them so much. And eternal life, often thought of as a length of time, is redefined in verse three as knowing God, 
something we can do right now. Each time we pick up the book and each time we pray and worship and try and get to know who God is, we are experiencing eternity. God's presence now and that will continue into the future. God wants us to have that. And his final priority that we see is for us to experience God's love. He says, that the love you have for me may be in them. No matter how much pain we have and how disappointed we are in life, we cannot forget that God loves us and that nothing can come between us, God's love and who we are. God, God will not allow that to happen. His love will overpower us. I remember I was 22 years old, going on my second or third hospital visit as an as a, a intern at the church. And when I went to go visit this lady and pray for her, she said, okay, but can you spend more time with my roommate? I was like, oh, is your roommate going to church? She goes, no, but I've been telling her about Jesus. She's close to believing. And so I went to go talk to her roommate and I shared the gospel with her. And I said, do you believe in Jesus? And she said, I, I believe that Jesus is, is real, but I, I don't believe that he can forgive me for the things that I've done. And I pleaded with her to believe that the Lord could forgive her, wanted to forgive her, and the cross was proof that he did and that he loved her. And there came a moment where she, she broke out into tears and finally said, okay, I believe that I am forgiven and that God loves me. And that moment of her just feeling the love of God and finally realizing that there, there's no line that if we cross over, oh, that's it. No, the prodigal son story tells us we can run to God in all situations and he will be waiting with open arms. And if someone here thinks, well, I crossed that line again and again, and yeah, that damages relationships we have with other people when we do that, but God will always have his arms wide open for you you can experience the love of God even after failure, even when your spiritual life feels stagnant. Jesus is talking to the Father minutes maybe before his arrest saying, I want them to experience the love you and I have. I want them to experience it. And so Father, if there's anyone here that isn't experiencing your love because of, of sin or distance or whatever it is, I pray that your love would overpower them, that they would realize that nothing is going to separate them from your love. It's not possible. And you've proven, you've demonstrated your love for them while they were yet sinners so they can run back to you again and again and you're willing to embrace them. Father, help us to look at a few of these prayer principles and apply them to our prayer lives. Help us to look at these priorities that you had, that you expressed to your disciples because you wanted them remembered. Help us to make those our priorities as we pray as well. We want to grow closer to you through prayer, and sometimes that's just chatting. We love you, Lord. It's unbelievable that we have so much access to you. Help us to take advantage of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you guys. We have a prayer team available to pray for you now.